The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 286 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. The Natty Hattie. <laughs> He's back. And Steve Peters. Yeah, and again, timing waiting for Craig Morgan's vacation to end. I guess that's our, our podcast revolves around Craig's schedule, apparently. Wait a minute. Here. Just checking. And, and, it's been weeks. Wait a minute. And his surely, next vacation. Surely not my schedule. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Uh, I'm Luke Lipinski, and uh, we got a lot to talk about here. And I believe we're actually all in the same state for the first time since, like, the season ended. So here we go. And you are not working one of your 17 other jobs, which is, you know. Yeah, you don't know true. that. That's really why we have postponed this podcast. There could be another true. computer set up right here. I'm sorry, Craig, because I know the Twitter response that already guys are already typing on their phones. Yeah, why, after wait, Craig wow, again. Here it is again. Jeez. Unprovoked attacks. <laughs> I know. Good Lord. And I mean, they have so much evidence. <laughs> Secretly, it's the only reason we do that pod. This podcast is so PD can attack Craig at least uh, once, uh, ideally every week. Uh, built up, Petey. Like yeah, it's true. It's coming too. Grumpy today. Well, I mean, to be fair, right before we went on the air, Craig revealed to us that he used to wear a speedo for fun, and so I mean, how are Petey and I supposed <laughs> yeah. to really react now? Yeah, can't unsee that or unimagine yeah. that. Do you want to explain that, Craig, or do you just want to leave that? That is fair. After I tweeted a photo of what you were drinking today, so. <laughs> uh. Yeah, we're back. Yes, I did play water polo for one season in high school. My hockey coach thought it would be a good idea. It was not. Hey, realistically, though, I mean, which which one? I've, I've only really played hockey my whole life. Like, I've played some of the other sports, but not that competitively. I never played water polo. I always thought that would be the one that would actually probably take the most athleticism, because aren't you treading water the whole time? Yes, you're doing something called the egg beater, as you learn. To, to tread water and it's supposed to be you know it's it's supposed to help you conserve energy but i was exhausted doing it the entire time <laughs> <laughs> it looks brutal it is it is brutal and for some reason every time i try and turn on the olympics right now as i adjust to this uh, the tokyo time for these games i just keep catching water polo i've caught like three different water polo matches so that's exciting at least i missed usa basketball uh okay let's um let's start with the expansion draft want to start there Sure. It was a big deal on Wednesday. Uh, I I got to say, a lot of people I know, obviously growing up in Seattle, a lot of people I know who weren't hockey fans are now into it. But a lot of people even here around the Valley that weren't necessarily huge hockey fans were into that expansion draft. And I, I already know a lot more Kraken fans than I thought I was going to know. We'll see how long it lasts. There were a lot of angry people on Twitter, I know, as the uh, as Frank Saravalli was revealing all of the picks. Yeah, if it's made for TV, should we make it for TV? I don't get it. I don't. I guess I'm not an insider media guy, so I, I don't get paid for for releasing information. What was the point? Like, why give them? Why give them the? Why give the league the roster at 7 a.m. and then release the thing at six? Just so you can have two guys there with a jersey on. I don't get it. If if the league cares about the made for TV event, and ESPN clearly cares about that, of, of course they wouldn't release the list until an hour before. That's the way you handle that. People that are getting on reporters for doing their job, quite bluntly, shut up. 
That's our job. It's our job to get information and report it. If you don't like it, stay off Twitter. Sorry. I'm going to do my job. You're not going to impact me one bit with your criticism because you don't understand my job. And that is my job. So that will happen every year in these situations. I know there's not an expansion draft, but if people get draft picks, if people get other information, they're going to release it because that is literally their job. So again, shut up if you don't like that. Stay off Twitter. If the league actually cares about it, they can move it back. My take is the league doesn't care about it. I think the league loved the fact that attention was focused on the NHL throughout the day, not just for that made-for-TV event. They had people focusing on the NHL all day long. That's good for business. Well, it was interesting because the only people I know that were interested in watching it on ESPN and then ultimately didn't were like the really hardcore hockey fans. And and it was because they already knew the picks. But I, I think the audience ESPN's trying to reach right out of the gate is more like, you know, just either either people who weren't following all the hockey reporters yet on Twitter or Seattle fans who necessarily don't know a lot about these players. And so they wanted to hear about the players instead of just the names. But, I mean, it is a simple solution. Just release the list, like you guys said, an hour before to the reporters because, like, we see it in the NBA draft, the NHL draft, all of the drafts. If 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 the name comes out on Twitter two minutes before the pick is made, people are still watching the draft. If sure. it comes out seven hours before the pick is made, it's a little bit different. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm just... Just, I'm stunned to the whole, the whole thing. I, I, if people, if Ron Francis gets up there and announces Carey Price and Gabriel Landeskog, I want to see that. But when he's getting up there and announcing, I don't know, Morgan Geeky and Hayden Fleury, like, really? Who? Like, I got to go to Hockey DB to find out 75% of the guys they picked anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't mind that the names came out because it, it, it took away some of the anticipation for me just to see if they were going to take some of those big names, um, which clearly they didn't. And I, and I say some of that in jest. They have a bigger picture that nobody can see. I mean, this is not the roster they're going to play with on October 12th. These aren't the players that are going to be in the lineup. Some of them will, but there's free agent signings. Yet there's more um, more trades coming for Seattle. They see a much bigger picture overall than what we saw on that one day on ESPN, clearly. So and nothing to get too excited about one way or the other. Yeah, and one more point on this in, in terms of the leaks. <clears throat> a lot of people were complaining that Seattle was leaking the picks. Well, Again, you, you don't understand the business if you think it was Seattle leaking all the picks. Everyone in this league talks. People like to talk. They love to talk to reporters. That's just the simple truth of it. It is a gossipy league. Agents talk. Players talk. Executives talk. Everybody talks in this league. So when you saw those names coming out, they were coming from a variety of sources. So there's no way to actually put a lid on this by just saying, hey, Seattle, don't reveal your picks. That's not going to get it done. I would I would guess that the vast majority of the leaks did not come from the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, they probably, I would imagine a lot of them came, like you said, agents or players or whatever even, or just from the former team. Like, I'm not picking on Minnesota, but if you lose Carson Soucy or whatever, he's not on your team anymore. So if somebody asks you, hey, who'd you lose? Why would you care to, to it doesn't bother you to tell anybody. Exactly. And seven of those guys were on stage wearing the jersey. That just doesn't happen miraculously. You got to get on flights. You got to go through airports. You get, like, you got to make travel plans. It, it, there's no secrets here. That was Again. my favorite part. 
absolutely uh, my favorite part. They're they're on they're on the water there in Seattle. Oh look, Jordan Everly just walked by and he's yeah. got a Kraken jersey on. I guess he's on the team. Like, yeah, yeah I'm sure he was just going for a stroll. Well, you know, the, the, the next step now is to see to see what what the expectations are for the Kraken and where they go from here. You know, Vegas came in and they thought, oh, and I, I remember because our first game, meaning our, the Coyotes, it's not an R, it's a they, um, their first game that season was in Vegas, playing the Vegas Golden Knights. And you go, okay, we played six times. There's four wins, maybe five. Oh, boy. Maybe not. So even going into the season with their roster, they were were not looked upon highly to do well that year. And so I think the same thing is happening with Seattle, where you look at the roster and you go, eh, you know, maybe they're not going to compete like 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 Vegas did. Honestly, way too early to tell. Not only for what the roster is, for what this team can be, because I know you, you talk about Seattle had years to prepare this. Like they they've done their homework. They know what these players are they're going to make the right mix whether it's personalities or style of play there's a lot going on here and to say that this team is going to be a bottom feeder in the pacific is way too early to say way too early um don't be surprised if this isn't a team battling for the playoffs next season yeah you mentioned that they might make trades and might sign free agents so we really don't even have a, a clear picture of what the roster is going to look like so it's it's, it's pointless to predict at this point but I also wonder you know when we look back on Vegas most of us were saying this is not a good team but we didn't see William Carlson scoring 44 goals in the first season. Um, you know, we might have seen a couple of things like what the heck was Florida doing, giving up Marcia So and, and sure. Riley Smith. That was clearly a bad move, and they were cutting costs. But most of the moves, you said, eh, this is not going to be a very good team. And they surprised us because some guys got put into roles that they had never had before. So we'll wait and see. Yeah, and well, Fleury, Fleury wasn't even the starting goalie for the Pittsburgh Penguins when they let him go. Yeah. And now he's the best goal in the league last season. So you, you just don't know how this is all going to shape out. I will say this, though, about the Vegas team, just in comparison to Seattle. Um, and I was actually at the Vegas expansion draft when it happened. And, and along the lines of Flurry, like I remember, I remember the Penguins had just won the cup and all Crosby wanted to talk about was Flurry. And uh, Carl Hagelin came with Crosby just to hang out with the cup in Vegas. And all he wanted to talk about was Flurry. And everybody just wanted to talk to Flurry. It was, it was such, like he was definitely the, the star that night because it was right after the award show. So you had all like the best players from that year, but all anybody wanted to do was talk to Flurry. But I will say, in no way did I think Vegas was going to the cup their first year. I probably, I doubt I even picked them to make the playoffs. But to Craig's point, even on this podcast, there were certain players like, why did Florida let March or so go? You have Flurry. We, I, we understood at the time why Pittsburgh did it, but still that's, that's a, a really good goalie. Alex Tuck was another one I didn't fully understand. William Carlson, I understood because if you go back and look at where Columbus was at the time, you knew they were going to have to lose Carlson. But still, that is like a guy that was on the verge of breaking out. Nobody thought he was going to be a 40 goal scorer. But if you had told us going into that season, hey, William Carlson's going to score 30, I don't think anybody would have been that shocked by that. I don't know that there's a lot of players on Seattle's roster right now that I feel that way about, like, oh, how did they get him? You know what I mean? Yeah, and Anaheim, too, of course, with Shea Theodore. But was this the award show that uh, you went to with Jamie that I didn't attend, or was this this the one where you slept in the lobby because you didn't bring your license? (laughs) I knew you were going to do this. This was the one where uh, where you did not attend. I don't know what you were. You were probably off on vacation or something. Maybe I wasn't invited after what happened the previous year. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, this was the year after because, ironically, a lot of people – Asked me if I had my ID this time around, and I did. <laughs> Good memories. I love our listeners. Yeah, well, not just our listeners, but like other hockey reporters oh, and okay. other people, you know, certainly Jamie. Information. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a gossipy league. 
Um, anybody off the top of your head where you were just like, oh, I'm surprised they didn't take this guy. I mean, we should at least mention the Carey Price, Vladimir Tarasenko, that sort of group of the of the really bigger name players that were out there. What do you like think? we didn't we didn't expect them to take price. I I I don't I think they looked into that seriously. I, I wonder how much I, I don't have a full sense of that if the injuries dissuaded them in the end or if it was just the number, but I I think they really explored that possibility. Yeah, I don't I guess we'll never know what went on in that room and it, we've talked about it on the podcast several times how important it is to get the right mix of players, the right personalities of players and you look at a player like Tarasenko, um no question about the skill level he brings and what he can do on the ice. You hear about things, and, and does he fit in the room? Is he the right guy with the right mix of players? So it, a guy like Tarasenko, if you're going to take a chance, you better be right. Um, I think that honestly probably played a little more into the selection of these players than you might think is is how they all fit together. Um, so it didn't surprise me that they didn't take some of these big names. didn't surprise me at all. The thing with Price, too, I mean, this is- – Montreal is just on a, on a different level right now. Okay. We have to expose price. Yeah. And we'll get to those. We have to expose price, but all of a sudden randomly, like he has two broken ankles, four busted knees. He can't walk. He'll never stand again. Like all, all of a sudden, all these injury leaks came out about Carey price, like within two hours after he was exposed in the draft. I imagine that probably dissuaded Seattle a little bit on top of the contract. But the last time I saw Carey price, he was he was dragging his team to the Stanley Cup, so I think he's okay. I get why they didn't take him. I mean, if you want to invest a lot in a goalie, that's he's maybe one of the best ones to do it with. But that's more historically not now. I mean, you'd be paying him through when he was thirty eight. You'd be paying him ten and a half million dollars a year. What I will say is this though: Who do you look at? And, and Petey's right. Obviously, the, this roster is going to change quite a bit before the first game, but. I feel like when we came out of the Vegas draft, we knew Marc-Andre Fleury was the face of the team. Who's the face of the Seattle team right now? Because if it's Mark Giordano, he's not going to play that much longer. Hey, uh, speechless. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think there's an answer. I don't see one either. I don't, I don't think that they're like printing a bunch of Yanni Gord shirts up in Seattle no. right now. Like he's a good player, but he's not the face of the team. For sure. You know, Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, Jamie Alexak, nice players, but yeah. they're not Mark Andre Fleury. Nobody, nobody carries that cachet that he carried into Vegas. They clearly should have taken Christian Fisher. Exactly. Again, this is two expansion drafts in a, in a row where Coyote fans look at this and go, Hey, our guy's going to help this team. And, and uh, you know, nope. Polkin in, in Vegas, clearly <laughs> no effect on what they did. Oh, I can't and, believe that pick. <laughs> and then Pitlick, you go, okay, he, you know, he'll land there. He'll, he'll be, play hard, do the things he does, and he'll be, you know, be a fun guy to watch in Seattle. And then he's gone. So the Coyotes just don't have an imprint on any of these things. Why? I know. I don't get it. I don't get it. See, yeah, if if I'm Seattle, I just keep him, right? I mean, I said this to you guys off the air. If I'm the Coyotes and I know that, that Calgary wants him, I probably protect him and, and trade him for maybe a third round pick. But once you're Seattle, like, you don't need that fourth round pick. What Seattle did do though, is they did, they, they did draft two additional flurries. So maybe that's just the strategy now in these expansion drafts. Kale and Hayden this time. So yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else on Seattle before we jump forward? I'm not going to ask us to make predictions because. Who knows? The roster is going to be different. I, do you think they're going to go out and get anybody big in free agency or make any big trade? Like I know Gabriel Landeskog's name has been floated around a lot. That would be a big addition, but that's going to you're going to that's going to tie up a lot of assets. That's that's the thing. I, I, that's where mistakes are made in free agency. It's just it's too costly. 
I, I would, if I were Seattle, I, I would not be making the big ones. You, I, I'd be looking at mid-level free agent signings or some of those lower guys that they think might have upside. But man, if you if you go for one of those big ticket guys, it can tie you up for a long time. I don't think those make sense in most instances. I think there are very few free agents ever that you should commit that kind of money in term to. I tell you what I liked is when we got to the actual draft and let's transition over to that. Seattle did what I really think every team should do. Just went center and D for like the first four, at least the first four picks. I have to look through the rest, but they just went center and defense. And granted they had the second pick in the draft. It was pretty easy to make that their, their first ever entry draft pick and have it be a center, but uh, center and defenseman, because if you're not going to go after a guy like Landis dog or whoever in free agency, that's fine, and that might be the best plan long-term, but where are you going to get your stars? You're going to get them through the draft, the actual draft, not the expansion draft. And so we'll see. They That's the one benefit they had over Vegas. What did Vegas pick sixth in the first entry draft? Seattle picked second. So they potentially have a, a game-changer there in the future. Uh, as far as the Coyotes in this draft, all of a sudden they went from having no picks to having all the picks in the second round. And I believe they still have, they have five in next year's draft, don't they? Five second round picks. Yeah. And they're not going to keep all of those. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they're going to try and either move some of those back to 23 or try and jump up into the first round to get a second first round pick in, in what's supposed to be a really stacked draft. So I don't, I don't think their moves are done by any uh, sort of imagination. So. Well, they weren't supposed to have a first-round pick when the, when uh, Friday began, and yeah. they end up getting the ninth overall pick. They take Dylan Gunther, uh, I mean, a guy that I saw projected in the top five in a lot of mock drafts, but, I mean, this was a weird year, so we're going to have to see what he actually does. But how they got there was trading Oliver ekman Larson, which seemed inevitable, and trading Connor Garland, which I, I have mixed feelings on. Yeah, I, I definitely have mixed feelings on Connor Garland. Uh, yeah. Not even mixed feelings. I have pretty strong feelings about that one. But when they went into this offseason, look, we, we knew this. We, if moving Oliver ekman Larson's contract was not priority number one, it was 1A along with getting a lot of draft picks. They wanted to get out from under that. He has not been the same player for four, maybe even five seasons now running. So you're, you're committed to paying him for six more seasons. His salary the next three years is $10.5 million. Honestly, I didn't think they would be able to get out of that contract. So credit for, to them for doing it. Um, they had to give up Connor Garland to do it. However, um, I've written this. I've said this on the podcast. He is exactly what you want your franchise to embody. You bring in a guy. He puts in the work in the uh, AHL. He's there for a long time. Bakes finally gets his game to a point where he's ready to come to the NHL. He, he gets there. He succeeds. He does everything in the offseason. He's ultra competitive. He plays the game you want it to be played. And then you trade him. It's, I know this is not Bill Armstrong's guy, but Connor Garland was a popular guy with the core that they still have. And you just moved that guy out. I think that's a mixed message right there. Maybe that's what you had to do to rid yourself of Oliver ekman Larson's contract, though. Yeah, there's so many things. I mean, this, the storylines coming off of this trade to create a, the ninth pick overall, uh, I, mean, I honestly don't know where you begin. The, the Connor Garland, to me, this is the – just like Craig said, he – this is why you draft players. So you can have these players on your roster. He was drafted, what, 15, 16? So five, six years ago. You get him at, potentially get him at a decent number. You get him playing regular minutes. You get him 
contributing on the score sheet. Isn't that the point of drafting players? I, 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 it's great. Bill Armstrong has done what he's been mandated to do. Get people, get draft picks and get build the shelves in Tucson and in Arizona. So when they're ready to financially win, they've got a stockpile of players. I think he's done that. And, and I think an admirable job. We'll have to wait again four, five, six, seven years to see, um, which is frustrating at best. But to what point do we get these draft picks then? Because I tell you what, there's 31, maybe 32 franchises right now. They're looking, saying we had a great draft. Every one of them is saying it. There isn't a GM at home or a scout saying, oh, gosh, we, we missed on this draft. Not one of them. So every team gets a first-round pick. You need draft picks to win. And we can talk about that in a little bit, what, what teams have done through the draft to become champions. I think it's important. But it's not one draft pick. It's at least two in fairly consecutive years doing it right two years in a row. And then, and most importantly, surrounding those high draft picks with really good players. And if you don't do that, you're Edmonton that gets the four, first overall pick four out of six years and doesn't get out of the second round if they even make the playoffs. So for Coyotes fans to sit there and go, okay, we're getting all these draft picks. That's great. But every team is saying that. Every team in the league is saying, oh, we had a great Great first round. We picked, we, the Coyotes picked ninth. They didn't pick first. They picked ninth. It'll be nice. You know, you talk about Dylan Gunther, if he becomes an everyday NHL player, that's great. Is he going to be a superstar in this league? Is he Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid? No. I don't think the expectations are there. So the frustration comes in is how far out do you have to wait? Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the, you talk about the, the John Chica drafts, P- Pierre Oliver Joseph. Oh, he's, he's going to be on our blue line for years. Never played a game. So the, the expectations change so much year to year. And you can talk about draft picks until you're blue in the face. Until they play, it's a waiting game. Yeah. And so this is a long way in the future. And that's a point I tried to make today. I know people are looking at, you know, what, what they were able to get done. And you're right. I mean, Bill has executed on the mandate. He has. You, you can't come away from what has happened over the past week thinking he did not execute. I never thought he'd be able to move OEL. He did. He got a lot of draft picks. He got back into the first round. He got a player that Corey Promen had number two on his board. But you still have to execute on all these draft picks. The thing that I would say about the Coyotes, I know it's frustrating for fans because here we are in what is undoubtedly a complete rebuild now. It is clear that's what it is. They've had to endure this multiple times, but what the Coyotes failed to do so many times in the past is stick with the plan. They abandoned it halfway, midstream. Okay, we can contend now. Contend for what? You still don't have the elite players that are going to carry you very far in the playoffs. The the 2012 season was wonderful, but it was an anomaly. You didn't have sustainability with that roster, clearly. you Obviously, losing, uh, you're not having lottery luck has impacted the Coyotes big time. They haven't landed that franchise player. But you have to stick with the plan. And you're right, Petey. If you do stick with the plan, we're not talking about being a cup contender in two, three, four years. That takes a lot longer. If you look at the teams that did it, it can take like seven to ten years. Yeah. You're doing it right. And so what Coyotes fans should look at is say, okay, Maybe that's the timeline for maybe we can we can contend for a cup. I think it's okay in Arizona that you can get to a point where you have a playoff team every year. 
that should be a goal, but you should try, you should be trying to get to cup contender while making sure that you're a playoff team every season. And, and to do that again, they're going to need to have a lot of success in these next two drafts. That's where a lot of talented players are. If they don't end up right at the top of the draft, we may see the same problem arise again because the franchise players are right at the top of the draft. If you don't get them, I don't know what happens because the teams that win cups get those picks. It's that simple. Yeah, we, we, we looked into this and I, and I, I hate to, to, backtrack a little bit but to the to the point of how long it takes to build a Stanley Cup champion around top draft picks and, and Luke can say this to, to his club the, the Penguins you, you had three consecutive well, well three consecutive years Flurry, Malkin, Latang, Crosby and Crosby and Latang were in the same draft but okay those are pretty darn good players it took six years to win a cup and then to get the second cup 13 years Hedman, Stamkos 12 years. St. Louis Blues, Peron, Peter Angel, Tarasenko, 9 years. Ovechkin in Washington, 14 years from being drafted to winning a cup. This isn't something that happens in a few years. And you go to Washington, it's not just Ovechkin. It's Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson, and, and you still wait 6 to 10 years. And you surround them, and you play to the cap, and you get good goaltending. So to think... That this is okay. We've got these draft picks. This is a long, 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 long journey, and you still have to play these seasons. You still have to play eighty-two games. You still have to root for a team. It's so, so difficult. And Craig said it again. They've been rebuilding continually. I don't since what two thousand one. And 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 in that mid process, we go. Oh, we're, we're rebuilding. Let's get Taylor Hall during a rebuild. What? Let's give away all of our draft picks to maybe play one round in the playoffs. You're what? No, keep doing what you're doing. So the frustration level rises. And, and I need, you know what? This is what Bill Armstrong is supposed to be good at. This is why he is here. He scouts well. He drafts well. Let's let the process play out. To think this team is going to be playoff competitive next year or the year after, I, I, I don't see it. I don't want to ignore the impact that ownership has on all of those decisions, too. I'm, I'm not saying that it's all on the GMs of the past who have abandoned ship, you know, or, or a change course midstream. There have been other pressures in this market in particular where you're losing money. So you need to try and feel the team that can either help you stay in the city, as was the case with Tibbet, or you know, get enough might generate enough revenue to help it survive. So they're, they're competing pressures. This is what I hope. I know internally that the Coyotes know they have to rebuild. They know it. They're not going to come out and say it publicly because in this market, it's bad PR. You can say that if you're the New York Rangers because you're financially stable, but the Coyotes probably cannot come out and say, yeah, get ready for the next five years because we're going to be garbage. That's what you have to do. Now you hope ownership sticks with it. You hope that they have the support. Bill Armstrong has has accumulated draft picks. He's going to try and do it some more. What he's done right now is given himself, he set himself up for the possibility that this team could become a playoff team. But he still has to execute, right? He has to execute on all this. If he doesn't have the support from ownership after a couple years, if they get impatient and say, hey, what's going on here? How come we're not winning right away? We could be back in the same boat that we've seen over and over and over again with this franchise. 
See, I think though that you can get fans, the the true hockey fans, on board with a rebuild. But it goes back to what you said a little while ago. Of you you have to stick to a plan. Like the true hockey, yeah, you're probably not going to get Suns fans who don't follow hockey who just watch their team go to the NBA Finals on board with, hey, we're going to rebuild. But I think there's there's a lot of nuance there. Okay, if you're going to rebuild, you got to tear it down and, and truly rebuild and stick to the plan. And Bill Armstrong is doing that. I completely agree that Connor Garland is a guy I would want to rebuild around. And so that's why that's, I mean, he's mid-20s, hard worker. Everybody in the locker room likes him. He's probably your best offensive player. At least he has been the last two years uh, in a lot of ways. And so it's tough to trade that guy away. But if the goal is to get draft picks and really try and do this and, and be in be in it for the long haul, He's doing it the right way. Bill Armstrong's strength in St. Louis was scouting and drafting. Bill Armstrong won, you know, he was part of a Stanley Cup winner just a couple of years ago. So he's not interested in trying to sneak in as the eighth seed every couple of years, which I like. I think you can get fans on board with the rebuild, but I also don't think that means you have to be terrible for five years. You may have to be really bad for one year. That might just be the reality of it. But you know my thoughts on this. If the plan is to to be bad to get the number one or number two pick, you're not going to get it. With the, there will be another Canadian team that needs that pick in a couple of years that will somehow jump to the top, or Edmonton will jump to the top. You, if you get the number one or number two pick, that's great, and make sure you don't miss on it. But your plan has to be, and I think this is what they're doing, stockpile those picks. A lot of them won't pan out, but some of them might, and you may get a, you may get a, a star or a superstar in there. I mean, Gunther might be a superstar. We don't know. But, uh, but that's how you have to do it. But it goes back to what you guys both just said you got to stick to the plan. And in the past, it's been like, well, the coach changed. Well, the GM changed. Well, the owner keeps changing. It seems like now you have all those things in place. So I do think you can tell your your true hockey fan base, get in on the ground level now. We're going to stick with this. But if you tell your fans to stick with it and then you keep bailing every two years and starting over, what do you – that doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah, I agree with that. And listen, I, I, don't, I don't think you can count on winning the lottery, but – I do think you need to be really bad, and not just for one year, probably for a couple of years when you look at these next two drafts. If you don't get that guy that's sitting at the top that is a, a franchise player, then you have to figure out how to build around a really good player. Now, St. Louis is a, a good example because they won a cup, and you can argue that they don't have that franchise player. Ryan O'Reilly Same with Vegas. Yeah. Vegas yeah. and the Islanders, too. You do it a different way. You can have a really strong blue line, great goaltending, and you can have a balanced forward group, and maybe you can do it that way. Maybe you're not going to be – that dynasty team like the Blackhawks or the Penguins that win multiple cups or, or Tampa Bay, but you might be able to, you know, get to the top. The other thing too, is like, and I had this conversation with Suns fans for the longest time and Craig, you just said it like Gunther was, you said he was Pronman's number two over overall uh, prospect in this draft. Again, it's, we don't know until they actually play, but what if you just got your guy? Like, what if that, what if you just got the number two guy in this draft? What if you really did? Like for the Suns, the longest time was, well, we got to be bad and get a top pick. And every year they didn't win the lottery and the guys they drafted were horrible. Their best player is Devin Booker, who they got at 13. I get that it's a different sport, but for the longest time, they were like, we're going to take the last three months of the season off. So we win the lottery and they would get the fourth pick and take Dragon Bender, who's out of the league. And they did that over and over and over again. The biggest thing to me is not win the lottery. The biggest thing is don't miss on your picks. Yeah. Amen to that. Absolutely. And the, I mean, I just ran a story on the, the best draft picks in Coyotes history, and it's a damn depressing list when you yeah. look at it. They, the, the impact players that they've drafted, they've traded them. They had yeah. Blake Wheeler. He never played a game here. They traded Danny Breer. They just traded Connor Garland. Like, find me other impact players that they've drafted in their 25 years in the Valley. 
they, they, I mean, who's their best goalie they've ever drafted? Robert Esch? It's unbelievable how poorly they have drafted and developed in this organization. So, yes, that's the lifeblood. That's the thing that gives me at least some hope about the regime in place now. This is where Bill Armstrong cut his teeth. Daryl Plandowski has a great track record. They have good scouts in place. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but at least they're finally focused on what is the lifeblood of an organization and something that has held them back for a quarter century. Completely agree. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, I don't think you're going to make all five of those second round picks next year, but those are assets. You may trade them for a player down the line that, you know, fills a need. You may be able to trade into the first round, whatever. You may be able to just move up a little bit. Uh, but they did make all three of their second round picks this year, and they did take Josh Doan early in the second round. Yeah. I mean, uh, Petey, you know that family as well as anyone. I'll let you talk first, but man, what a fairy tale bringing Josh Doan home, huh? Yeah. It's, you know what? It, you look around and you like to see good things happen to good people. And for those lucky enough to know Shane Doan, he's good people. And this is just honestly, it's a dream come true. One, just getting your, your, your kid, even in the conversation of being involved in a professional draft is amazing. Then to go as high as he did, then to go to a franchise that you literally put your stamp on. Like this is his franchise. The Arizona Coyotes are Shane Doan's franchise and they will be in, in, to infinity so to have this storyline follow the way it did and not only that but with josh going to, to asu this is just honestly these are what movies are written about it's fantastic couldn't be happier for the family and on top of that kid's a pretty good player mm-hmm. and you know it's we'll have to wait and see what he becomes for fans that haven't seen him play he's not shane He's not this big, strong power forward that's going to be a bull in a china shop knocking people over getting to the front of the net. That's not Josh's game. Josh is an extremely cerebral player. He's incredibly smart, very high hockey IQ, meaning he's in the right place at the right time. The puck finds him, offensively skilled, can put points on the board, does a lot of things right, but he's a really smart hockey player. Um Physical, gosh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, he, he's not in the stature of his father at this point. You never know. Um, yeah, he's still growing, so you just don't don't want to limit that style of play out. But he's he's a smoother player than Shane, and and I think you're going to see a different style of play from this stone from his father. I've seen this narrative out there that they reached on this pick. Um, I have a lot of things to say on that. Let, let's start with the 2021 NHL draft and the scouting that went into it. I wrote a story on how difficult it was to scout this season because some leagues, like the one that produces the most draft picks in the NHL, the OHL, didn't even play a game. So you're basing it sometimes on what you saw from them at 16 before they even physically matured. Other team, other leagues were limited in their games. Live viewings were limited. Border crossings were tough for Canada and Europe. So a lot of times your main scouts didn't even see players in Europe. There's all kinds of missing data for this year's draft. The draft is already an inexact science. To me, this year, I mean, I know a lot of teams got out there and did as many live viewings as they could, and the Coyotes were one of those teams, so credit them for that. But the draft is a freaking crapshoot every year. Look at the percentages on which teams connect. Look at the percentages. If you want to go back and look at all these analysts and what they've said about these picks, go back and look at their success rate. And you're going to get freaked out by the fact that some people had Josh Doan as a third round pick instead of a second and say definitively that, you know, they reached on him. I mean, you have no idea. The scouts don't know. The teams don't know. 
And here's the other thing to say about Josh Doan. He has been a classic late bloomer. Even when he got to the steal, he was still smallish. They limited his minutes. They kept him off the ice a lot, working on his body. This It's a great organization, and Ryan Hardy, obviously, their former GM, got rewarded by being hired by the Maple Leafs. They do everything right there. They worked so hard with him that first year. He happened to build up his body and hit a growth spurt to 6'2". He may grow even more. Then he explodes and becomes the third point get uh, third in, in scoring in the ushl last season we don't know what his upside is this kid is definitely still growing both in stature and in his game and the coyotes watched him a lot they did obviously they know a lot about him he's shane Doan's son for god's sake so i'm not saying he's going to pan out but to say he was a reach you have no idea you have to trust your own board and your own scouts this was not a marketing ploy you don't go and waste a high second-round draft pick on somebody's son because you think it would be great for marketing. That would be just asinine and against everything that the Coyotes have said that they're trying to do with the scouting staff. They believe in Josh Stone. They think he has great potential, and now they get to watch him develop in their own backyard so they can help with his development. I think that last thing's important, right? Because, I mean, you talk about all this work to get second-round picks, and – Again, they might not make all five next year, but this year I'm glad they made all three because it is such a wide open draft after really the last, the top, like maybe five to 10 picks. And even those are kind of scrambled, but more so than usual in the second round this year, you might get first round players. They didn't take him with their second or third second round pick. They took him with their first second round pick. That's 37th overall in a draft that's pretty wide open. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure on, on him to pan out. That's a pick that you need to hit on. So to your point, I mean, if you were going to take him just because of his last name, that's something you do in the sixth round or the seventh round, maybe. And and there's hope, hey, maybe he pans out and look, it's a cool story. And you get a little attention at the end of the draft. This was their second pick in the draft. Going into Friday, they thought this was their first pick in the draft. So they obviously have a, a high expectations for him. Like you said, it's important that in a year where you weren't really able to watch any of these guys, they've been watching him closely. So they have maybe a better feel for what he could become. And he has said, even before the, he got drafted, and he did it again uh, yesterday, He's made it clear, like, look, I'm not my dad. You know, I don't play the same way. It's, it's, he knows what he's stepping into, right? I mean, Jane Doan is more synonymous with the Coyotes franchise than anybody, obviously. So Josh Doan needs to kind of put out there, hey, I'm a different player. Don't expect me to be my dad. Doesn't mean he can't be really good, just not the same style of player. And he said in the past he, he wants to be a different player. Yeah. And the th- point that Petey made earlier about how cerebral he is. Ryan Hardy had really good insight on that, just saying Josh has always been a small kid. Up until very recently, he's been a small player. So when you're a small player, you you can't play that physical style. you got to figure out how to make plays. you got to see the ice. You have to see things coming ahead of time. And that's how he developed. And now he's suddenly got this big body to go along with it. So it's a really intriguing package. Uh, the other thing we got to bring up here with the draft is Montreal making their first round pick and making everybody angry, as you would expect. <laughs> uh, we're talking about a player who renounced himself from the draft because of stuff that went on in Sweden. And we don't need to get into all of that, but let's. Well, I think I'll, we should tell people what happened. Yeah. Okay. We'll go ahead and explain the, the, the oh, backstory, Craig. Photos of a sexual act that he's having with a woman. Okay. Uh, which is probably not a good idea. Um, no, probably not. Yeah. And, and, and then he, re- he renounced himself. He just recused himself basically from the draft. I, I shouldn't be drafted. And this happened very short time before the draft, right? And then yeah. Montreal went and drafted him anyway. Did anybody see the video of 
Montreal assistant GM Trevor Timmons being asked when that happened just a couple days before the draft where he said he shouldn't be drafted and then you drafted him anyway. Why did you do that? Did you see that video? I didn't Trevor see Timmons, it. He popped, it's the longest moment of, it's like dead air. It's like radio nightmare. He's sitting there. You see him think of something and he stops and they think of something else and he stops. He can't come up with a good answer because there is no good answer. I don't even know where to start with this one. We talked about the same thing a year ago mm-hmm. with the Arizona Cavities and Mitchell Miller. Mitchell Miller. Now, Mitchell Miller was a fourth-round pick, so that even made less sense to me because it was such a late pick. Uh, Logan Milieu ranked as high as 31st. I, I think I saw it was the highest ranking he was um, worldwide, which is just late first-round pick, so he, the kid can play. But to what to what extent? Like, what, what what's the point? Can can you go to the next guy in your list to avoid all of this? You know, I I'm really struggling with it because I, I will say this to Montreal's defense publicly on their press release they came out and said a similar thing to what the Coyotes said first is hey this gives the franchise an opportunity to give back to the community, to teach this kid the right way, to do things right, to grow, to learn, to use him as a, a figurehead for different causes and charities. Same thing the Coyote said. Exactly what they said about Mitchell Miller, talking about bullying and, and those type of things. Only two days later, they said, well, maybe we don't mean those things. We're not going to help him. We're just going to get rid of the pick. So let's see if Montreal follows through. Let's see if they make him a poster boy for whether it's sexual assault or harassment or bullying or whatever those things are. Maybe he does. Maybe he does grow out of, you know, grow from this mistake, as it were. Um, and, and you can only hope that some good can come out of it. But why draft him? Yeah. We, we said what an inexact science the draft is. We've been saying it the whole show. So really? Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, again, they, as with everything, time will tell. You know, maybe he's a kid lifting the cup with Cole Caulfield five years from now, and we're all going, hey, the kid paid his dues. He apologized. He he served his time um, with the court systems. You know, he, he did everything right. Let's give, you know, he apologized. Give him a second chance. That's- yeah, the problem, uh, there's a lot of problems here, but the problem that has, uh, it's kind of like the newer one I've, as I've realized since the draft has happened is it, it does sort of feel like there's a double standard with certain teams, doesn't it? Because like, you know, Montreal knew there was going to be backlash, but you know, they thought, Hey, in this market, as long as we win, people will forget in a year or whatever. And that's like, look, he's a kid. It doesn't mean his life should be over. It doesn't mean his career should be over. But I think to, to people, especially like every woman watching hockey, how do you not look at this and be like, man, he didn't even slide into the second round. Come on. Not that that would make it like make everything go away, but you'd like to see some sort of, ramifications and that's my problem is like and it's not just if the coyote like we saw the coyotes made that pick last year and everybody just vilified them and it wouldn't just be the coyotes there's other teams if carolina made that pick if florida made that pick but if montreal makes it it's like oh it's a big deal but you know up there they're like it'll pass we're fine and that's like that doesn't sit well with me no it's gross and and you can say because you're montreal and if you win in montreal everything's forgiven Right. And, and to say, oh, well, we're going to use him as a poster child for, you know, we're going to put him out in the community. I'm sorry, but a lot of professional teams marketing efforts on this front are all PR too. 
So sorry to be the cynic on that, but I don't believe a lot of it's genuine. I believe a lot of it is to improve their image and nothing more. So, uh, yeah, I have some cynicism about that. The comparisons with Mitchell Miller, you guys know that's going to hit me particularly close to home because I also think the reporting initially on Mitchell Miller was abysmal. And they left out important facts that colored the the entire narrative there, including the fact that Mitchell Miller did, did apologize. And there's a legal public document witnessed by multiple school board members showing he did, as well as all the community service. So, again, that colored the narrative. And a lot of people made up their minds because of poor reporting on that story. But but in this case, the, the kid himself said it, for God's sake. He said it right before the draft, don't draft me. And Montreal's like, eh, we don't care about anything. We'll just have you come out and say a few things, make a few statements, appear in a few places. It'll all be good because, yes, like you said, Luke, we're the Montreal Canadiens. If we win, it's all good. And it's already kind of blowing over, it feels like. And the draft was two days ago. The first round was two days ago. And to Petey's point, it's not like, okay, we're at the end of the first round. We have one guy with a first-round grade and everybody else is a seventh-round grade. It's like, okay, just pass on him and take the next guy you had in the first round. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not dropping like 700 spots in, in your rankings. Just go down one spot. And as you keep saying, it's a crapshoot. The guy behind him might be better anyway. I'm pretty sure there will be guys drafted in this draft behind Logan Milieu who are better than him. Yep. Probably a lot. It's a late first round pick, right? We know the percentages. Exactly. It's not like it's a top 10 pick where you're like, oh, God, this guy could change our franchise. No, yeah. it's not that kind of player. Uh, we got to talk about the Blackhawks and the fact that they have no cap space again. You know, I just went to search for my cowbell and I can't find it. I think my daughters have moved it because they get annoyed when I ring it for dinner. Uh, you ring that for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I tried to set you up for when we were talking about, you know, Seattle going into free agency and spending its entire cap on a free agent. Uh, I tried to set you up as a segue because I thought we were going to the Blackhawks next because yeah. the Blackhawks did, in fact, spend their entire cap on Seth Jones. Now, I like Seth Jones. If you are going to spend all your cap on a player, Seth Jones, they, I mean, they've made it very clear. They went out and got his brother. They, they cleared out their blue line and their cap space. But, man, he better win a lot of Norris and probably even a heart trophy for how much they're giving him. Well, yeah, to what end? What, what are you thinking you are as the Blackhawks when you're signing Seth Jones to this contract? What, what do you imagine is coming in the next few years when you're the Blackhawks? This yeah, is this a, just, that's in decline. It's the same thing we're talking about when we talk about the Coyotes. Coyotes. What's the plan? What's the plan? Like, what? How much time do Kane and Taves have left to make an impact in this league? You've already, you've already taken Keith out of the equation. Seabrook's not the, not the player. His injuries have racked up. Is he the player he is? Seth Jones is a great player in this league. He's a very, very good defenseman that is well liked. He's good in the room. He's a good leader. He plays both ends of the ice. All of those things are true, but at what cost? And, and so it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I don't know what Chicago is right now. I, I don't get it. Um, they've given themselves no options. They've given themselves no space. This is the team they're throwing on the ice. Could be a great year for them. I, I, I don't know what the future will hold. It could be a great year, and then we'll all be seeing them going, gosh, Seth Jones put him over the hump. He's only one player. You know, yeah, 20, he, 22 minutes a, a night? I don't 26. know. He's going to be 27 when the season starts. I'd love him if he were like 23. Okay, you could say this is a cornerstone of the future. But it just feels like, okay, we're going to be stuck in the middle here. The, the, the Blackhawks are going to be a bubble team for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's going to be the one that takes the criticism in four or five years when it's not. It's probably not going to be his fault because I do think he steps in and immediately becomes one of, if not their best player, depending on you know what how much longer you're going to have Patrick Kane at 
top level Patrick Kane. I guess according to the people who voted for the ESPYs, Patrick Kane's the best player in the world right now. So maybe that, maybe that, uh, maybe that made, uh, Chicago feel like they, they should just go for it at this point. It's, it's a great pickup, but you have to remember when there's salary cap in a sport and they actually adhere to it. It's not like you can just go over it with luxury tax or whatever. I know there's a lot of Tampa Bay jokes right at this moment, but in general, you have to adhere to it. That's a huge percentage of your salary cap on a guy that plays defense. So it's not like he's going to get you 50 goals and win you games that way. May very well be, I don't know what, one of the three or four best defensemen in the league. But it makes a lot more sense if you are a team that's right on the cusp of winning the cup. On your way up, rather, and on your way down. And if anybody should know about the salary cap, it should be the Blackhawks, who have done fun things with it for the last 10 years. And also, their former owner is the one that trumpeted getting the salary cap in place in the first place. Which I do like. I like having the cap in place. Uh, so he leaves Columbus, who, by the way, it's not like Columbus has won any cups, and Seth Jones has been a beast there. But Craig put this in the notes. I think it, you're just uh, you're probably just longing for a team running their organization like Columbus right now. But they had a good day. They did. They really did have a good day, and they, they got picks out of that. They got Jake Bean. I, I like a lot of the moves that they did. I don't know what you guys think of them, so I don't want to speak too much on that. But it, Columbus clearly is not a team that's in win-now mode. But I, I like some of the moves they made in terms of reshaping their roster for the future. Yeah, it, again, it's it's to this running theme of today. Wait and see. Yeah. Uh, again, it's nice having a couple of first-round draft picks. But again, when? Like, w- Years from now, we'll go. Oh, remember that draft back in 2021? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, this is the waiting game. This is what we talk about in July and August because that's what you have to talk about in July and August. This is an interesting move for both Chicago and Columbus, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I like Cole Sillinger as a pick. Jake Bean's an interesting pickup as well. So that they did some good things, but it's not. It's not like you can say, "Oh my God, they're wow, they're on their way back." Uh, not that Columbus was ever there in the first place, but <laughs> on their way back to somewhere. Real quick uh, on Columbus, though, are you surprised at all? And this is more about Seattle and Columbus. That Max Domi's still there <sighs> makes me wonder, huh? Boy, he he sure has had a lot of homes, and he's probably going to be moving on somewhere soon again. And that's, what I mean, we talked yeah, about that earlier. Is the fit is the fit of the puzzle piece? And and yeah. you, you talk about how it fits in the room, how it fits on the ice. Max Domi checks some boxes on the ice. Clearly, they felt it wasn't didn't check all the right boxes. Like I like Max Domi. I think he can add things offensively. You know, are there defi- deficiencies on the defensive side of the puck? Absolutely. There are teams that look past those to create offense. And that's kind of been Max's tag along his career. He didn't fit what they were doing. So am I surprised he's still sitting in Columbus? Not at all. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go back to the coyotes here before we hit listener questions. I want to start with this one uh, for, for all of Reckman Larson. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier. They had to make the move. It was time for them to move on. It was time for Oliver to move on. But the people, they're like, he's done. I, maybe I'm alone on an island here. I absolutely could see him being good in Vancouver where he's not the captain, where he's probably not even going to be on the top pairing unless he earns it. Like, he's not going to be asked to do the things in Vancouver he was asked to do here. I don't think he's going to be amazing. You know, a few years ago, I, I thought we were on the cusp of a guy that might be a Norris contender. He's definitely taken a step back, and it hasn't been one. It's been over the last few years. But would it shock you if Oliver ekman Larson went to Vancouver and was decent for the Canucks? No, it wouldn't no, shock me. Not. I, I listened to Jim Benning's press conference, though, and he's talking about him as a top defenseman, a top pair defenseman. I was like, you might want to look at the numbers <laughs> and the, the video before you do that. I'm not sure he – we're not going to see the Oliver Ekman-Larsen of five years ago again. He's not coming back. 
But do I think he could be a much better player, a, a really good second pair defenseman now? Which at that price is a questionable decision. Yeah, I think he can get back. I hope he does because he's such a good guy. I love Oliver as a as a human being. He, he was a good soul. He was a he was a good person in the community. Just a good person to deal with. So I hope he finds some happiness. He talked about that too, finding happiness again and feeling good about himself as a player. That was a really telling quote in that uh, Zoom call that he did yesterday. Um, he clearly had lost confidence in himself here. And it's easy to see why when a lot of people around you in important positions don't really believe in you, including ownership who was trying to move you. I I, I think he needed a fresh start very badly. I hope he finds some level of success in Vancouver. Yeah. Here's a guy you might as well start dusting off the ring of honor name, nameplate. And I just, I'm going to toot the Oliver Ekman Larson horn for a few minutes here. Because he, he, the things he has done here in Arizona, literally second to none as a defenseman, leads all Coyote players in games played, goals, points, assists, power play goals, game-winning goals, overtime goals. And when I say leads, game-winning goals, as an example, Oliver has 31 game-winning goals. The next closest is Tempo Newman at 13 and then Ed Jovanovski at 9. Career goals, OEL, 128. Second closest, Keith Yandel, 65. Like, he dominated offensively as a defenseman. And remember, when he started on the power play, he was amazing. He could go into the corner on a loose puck and be outweighed by 100 pounds and still come out with a puck. Unbelievable defenseman, an even better person. The things that started the decline, a couple of injuries that maybe hurt him a little bit, but the confidence, he lost it. And instead of being propped up going, hey, you're going to find it again, it's, well, you can't play anymore. We, we need to, let's replace his minutes. Let's do this. He, ownership tried to move him. Management tried to move him. His minutes got diminished. It's hard to be excited about playing somewhere where you know they don't want you. Do I think he has some gas in the tank? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to lead the league in scoring as a defenseman next year? Probably not. But what he can do in Vancouver is he can help a power play. I mean, that's, that's an area where he gets pucks to the net. He can see the game extremely well. He walks the line as good as anybody still. Um, he's going to help that power play in Vancouver. Absolutely. To what cost financially? You know, that's, that's a different part of the game. The coaching staff will not care uh, how much they pay him every two weeks. Not important to the coaching staff. It's going to play and taking Oliver out of the captaincy where he doesn't need to carry the load of the team anymore, where he's not the face of the franchise anymore, where expectations aren't as high anymore, only bodes well for him. I think it's going to be good for him to be just one of the teammates, one of the guys. I think you will see a resurgence in his career next year, not to where he was five years ago, but to where, gosh, he's a pretty good player. you know. And I, and I think that's what to fans can expect from OEL and I wish we could dedicate a whole show to him because he honestly he's earned it um Coyote fans have to have to as he walks away you know they have to thank this player he did a lot here and he put his heart on the line every time he played great player good captain um he will be missed in the locker room and in the community what a great guy and I literally cannot say enough about the guy yeah I that was very well said honestly very well said uh I think it's I think it's easy to, especially at that position, you know, when, when you start to hear 
whoever criticize him, then you start to just build on it. Oh, yeah, look, he's not scoring. Well, he's a defenseman. Well, you go out there, you got to score more to make up for what you did last year. Well, he's, he's tasked with covering Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl's line tonight. No, I need to see more offensive production. Like, okay, well, I mean, in that position, in that role, when people around you lose confidence in you, even if it's justified, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I understand he took a step back there for a couple of years. You can tell it's really tough to come back because it's not like you're the, you know, if Sidney Crosby takes a bunch of criticism or if Connor McDavid takes a bunch of criticism, well, McDavid will just go out there and put up 130 points and shut people up. What's Oliver supposed to do? The best thing you can do in that position, it's like an offensive lineman is we never think about you because you're just out there closing off the other team's best players. You're not, yeah, he had some offensive responsibility on the power play, but generally speaking, you know, it's really easy to get caught in that whirlwind of, okay, now I have to do even more to prove people that I'm, I'm good. And I just, I do think a change of scenery for a lot of different reasons. I think a change of scenery is going to do him really, really well. And I, and, and I say that knowing full well, the Coyotes had to move on from him because it wasn't working here. But to Petey's point, let's not forget that he's one of the best Coyotes of all time. And on Craigslist, I think you had him second, right? Among best draft picks of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to diminish Oliver's responsibility over the last few years for not playing to the top of his game. And he admitted that yesterday. Nobody knows it more than me that I have to play better. He's absolutely right. But Shane Doan told me this a long time ago. Oliver is the kind of guy who needs to be made to feel important. Maybe some people don't want to hear that. Maybe they're not in the coddling mood. But if you are going to maximize your assets and get the most out of them, you need to learn what motivates them. That's your job as an organization. I don't think they did that well with Oliver ekman Larson over the last several years. Yeah, and I only think to the organization's defense and the coaching staff, too, I, th- I don't know if Oliver could quite pinpoint where the issues lied. I, I don't know if sometimes it was physical, sometimes it was emotional. I, I, it was a strange trying to find where the issues lied. I, I, I don't know. Even Oliver will tell you that. And, and I think this is the best thing for everyone is for him to, to move on. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Conversely, the Coyotes got a ninth overall pick for a guy they are spending $10 million a year on. We talked about Seth Jones playing to the cap. What was Seth? Nine million? Yeah. Like, and, and, and look at the age difference and their performance difference. Like, Seth Jones has a lot of good years left him. He signed for eight. Oliver has six left. So, I mean, clearly it's good for the Coyotes to remove that salary, pick up the draft pick and the direction they're going. It was a great move for the Coyotes. And I, I think it's going to be good for his career as well. Yeah, it's good for Oliver too. I, I, he, I don't want to say this was the, the thing that tipped the scales, but he never seemed to come back to being the same player after his mom got really ill and, and died. He never came back from that. He was never the same player. And there were a lot of other factors. Again, I want to make it clear there are other factors, including age, including wear and tear, uh, including the loss of confidence uh, from, from the team in him. But it's weird how that sort of just changed who he was as a player. Hopefully he can shed all the baggage he had here, move past that, move past the culture of losing that has existed here for so long and find a happy home in Vancouver, which by the way is an unbelievable place to live. Yeah. yeah looking and- forward to him coming back to town. And I know Rich Nairn and his staff, shout out to Rich Nairn, the, the day that Oliver comes back wearing a different sweater um, and they get that first TV timeout. I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to that. Um, and if Coyote fans are lucky enough to be in the building, I mean, make sure you, you get on your feet because it's honestly, it's a big deal. To me, it's yeah. going to be as much highlights off the ice as it is on the ice. I'm guessing we're going to see something with Leighton. Leighton, yeah. Yeah, it's because, I mean, 
yeah, their connection was special. It just, yeah, he did so many things. I'm, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss covering Connor Garland for an entirely different reason, but here we go. Yeah. The nature of covering pro sports, right? Yeah. Connor Garland. I mean, from a reporter standpoint, he's electric on the ice. He's a unique player on the ice. You just haven't, you don't see many players do what he does the, with the, the quick stops and starts, the edges and the corners. So low to the puck with that short stick. But then when you talk to the guy, He's just unbelievably honest. He's a great quote. You don't get, you know, from the hockey cliche playbook that most players speak from. He speaks from the heart. He speaks honestly. He did it when he left town, too. Some of those quotes he gave me in that one-on-one I had with him literally minutes after the trade were were unbelievable. That's Connor Garland. He's not going to hide from the truth. Well, don't you think when he comes back, we talked about Oliver coming back into this building. I, I'd take the over on points for Connor Garland on his return to Gila River Arena. He, he always runs his motor at 100 miles an hour, and he always works hard, and you never doubt that. Can you imagine that return to Gila River Arena wearing a different sweater, how hard he is going to work, <laughs> what that game's going to look like from Connor Garland? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he is yeah. going to be on Does it have fire. A, I don't think they play the Canucks until April, which is just crazy. Oh, seriously? Good. Yeah, look at this thing. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Never mind, then. <laughs> I'm going to look at it again to make sure that, but it's, it's just nuts. It should be opening yeah. night, shouldn't when it? When he gets his first game against them, wherever it is, whether it's here or there, he's going to be motivated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Garland is – we had him on this podcast. He did, like, 45 minutes. Like, he will just talk <laughs> hockey with you for an hour and a half at any exactly. at any point. But, uh, yeah, it, there's – I, I will say this with uh, with Oliver. Oliver leads the uh, – he has the all-time record for players I've just randomly run into at restaurants around the Valley. And at one point – Well, oh, sorry, Luke. We can't afford those restaurants. No, I knew, I knew where you were going. I was uh, – I'm, I'm not eating at, like, the highest uh, food establishments in the Valley. But at one point, we ran into each other twice in the same week, and he just looked at me and was like, well, now i got to move. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Because these are just like random, like lunch places in downtown Phoenix or whatever. Yeah, it's going to be tough to see him go. It's going to be tough to see Connor Garland go because he he is not. In addition to all those things on the ice, he's one of those guys that does everything and, and keeps your locker room together. But you gotta, if you want to turn the corner, you gotta make a big trade. And uh, and with those guys, you know they missed the playoffs last year. You you got to do something differently and. Unfortunately, you can't just trade away the guys that you don't want. Like you got to trade away some of your your biggest pieces. So, uh, with uh, last thing on this, we got into this discussion the other day, and I don't know the answer. I have my own answer, I guess, for now. Who's the captain of this team? Because for me, I'll, I'll just start you off with this: I don't start the season with a captain. I let somebody earn it. I don't want to give it to somebody too young because if it doesn't work out, how are you going to take it away from them? So for me. I'm waiting and I'm kind of, I'm probably nudging Jacob Chickren and saying, this is yours in a year or two. If you show me that you're ready for it, maybe you don't even tell him. And then you give it to him a year or two. And maybe he's because you want to build around him and he's only signed for four more years. I'd love to give it to Chickren like a year or two and be like, Hey, by the way, you're the captain. You can't ever leave. I would not tell him about it. Yeah. That's probably a better move. I don't know how Andre Tourigny uh, approaches these sorts of things. I don't have a feel for that yet, but I'm with you. I, I don't think I name a captain. I worry about, you know, more a leadership group, maybe uh, have a bunch of alternate captains at this point. I don't think Jacob Chickren should be the captain of this team right now. I think he's Not too yet. And he needs to focus on his development and getting his game in in shape, complete shape. And that's that's a huge amount of pressure. We saw what it did to Oliver. I'm not saying it would have the same impact on Jacob, but he's really young. 
I don't think that's the right move at this point. And I don't think people outside who say he should be the captain right now really understand what that means and what sort of pressures that puts on a player. I think he's too young. Don't do that to him yet. It's not fair to him. But so I would go with, like you said, the leadership group for now. And then maybe if you, you can watch him or see if someone else uh, evolves over that time who, who should become your captain. But I, I don't see the great need to have a captain right now. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to, to – Clearly fair to Chicken. Let, let's let Chicken play. Yep. Yeah. Let's not disrupt the game. Let's not disrupt his growth. Let's not put any undue pressure or responsibilities uh, on that player. And you look at teams, you, you go to a guy that's a veteran guy that, that does things right, that has been through the trenches. I don't know who that is in Arizona right now. I mean, maybe maybe somebody emerges through free agency. Um, I, I think – I think Craig's right. You've got, you're going to have to earn it. Like this is going to be a bunch of alternate captains. Everybody's going to wear the A and everybody's going to do a little piece of it. I think what people may not recognize, um, in, in football, you might see a guy with a C on the offensive line or, you know, on defense. The role of a captain in the NHL is, is, it's, it's big. There's a lot of responsibility. One on the ice, you're one of the few players that can actually talk to the official. So when anything goes wrong, you're the representative dealing with the officials on the ice, but off the ice, you're in charge of so many things in the room that you're responsible for being that buffer between the players and the coaching staff. You know, what should we practice today? Well, let's bring in the captain. Let's see if, you know, how the guys are feeling, what they're doing today. And you represent a lot of things or, you know, you, you pull groups functions together. I know it doesn't sound like much, but you're responsible for pulling that group together throughout a very long, difficult season. So there is an added pressure uh, on, on your job tasks and responsibilities. So to give that to a player that you, you're still finding your way, like Jacob Chickren is, is a mistake. It's not just a letter on a sweater. It's much more than that. So I, I hope, and I, I have confidence that the organization will do the right thing, um, that, that it'll take time to find out who that person is. Um, Oliver took a year. You know, the Rick Tockett's first year in here, he said, Hey, somebody's gonna have to earn that. They gotta show that they're the leader here. Um, and I think that was you know, part of the process for Oliver maturing to becoming the captain. And I think that's gonna be the same thing here. I also think, to your point, Petey, with the, the responsibilities people don't realize, I guess that's more so what I was saying, Craig, is I wouldn't go to Chickren and tell him, Hey, you're gonna be the captain, because I feel like that happens in some instances and it, and it, it happened with Enzo. Yeah, and it, it really messes everything up. But I might give him over the course of the year one or two of those additional responsibilities. Hey, we'll go, we'll go ask Chick if, if the team's ready to practice today. You know what I mean? But you got to remember, he's still developing as good as he was last year. Like, I don't want to change anything. I want to bring Goligoski back and have that same pairing if it's possible. I don't want to change anything with Chickren because I want him to keep taking the next step forward. And you got to remember for any captain of this team, you're still in Shane Doan's shadow. Like Oliver Ekman Larson, in terms of a captain, was always in Shane Doan's shadow, just in terms of public perception, because it's like Shane Doan was one of the best captains ever in this sport. And it's not like he retired 20 years ago. But the final point on that is you're also going to be the guy that has to be available and talk to the media every night. And if there's going to be a lot of losing this season, you put that on top of everything Petey just said and the fact that Chickering is still developing and, you, and he's your guy, like you're building around him now 100%. You want to make him go out there and he has to address the media after every loss or he has to give us answers as to why the team is on a five-game losing streak? I mean, you could do that, but that's that's a lot of extra complications on yeah. the one guy you can't mess with. Yeah. Funny you mentioned Goligoski. I, I thought they might bring him back for that reason, but Alex Goligoski ain't coming back. Yeah, I know, I know.
but and that's fine. I mean, it, it doesn't mean Chicken can't continue to develop, but you're going to already be putting a lot of responsibility on his shoulders because he's now very clearly your number one defenseman. Unless, I mean, I guess unless you bring some veteran in, but, they get Goss to spare coming in, but he's not going to challenge Jacob Chikrin. I think I asked you that before too. Like there was some talk that I had heard about, oh, maybe the captain get you know they bring somebody in to be a leader, a, a captain for this team. Can that even work where a guy walks into a locker room and says, I'm the captain? I mean, it's not unheard of. It has happened. I can't think of the last time that it's happened successfully. But again, where is this team going and who's coming in? I think that's, you know, we'll talk about it in a week or two because they still have to put 20 players on the ice. And I don't know, not signing Bunting, trading Garland, trading OEL, not re-signing, you know, Hammer, Demers, Goligoski, like you gotta have 20 players on the ice. So I don't know if we know what this 20 man roster is going to look like yet. I think it's way too early. And maybe we address this, this topic again after it's had some time to evolve. Yeah. I mean, in terms of NHL players signed for next season, you've got 10 forwards, three defensemen and a goalie right now. And look, I know you can move some guys up or whatever, but that's not a full roster by any means. So yeah, there's some work to do. Dimitri Askin's going to be here, by the way. I reported that so that you can add him to the forward group. <laughs> all right. Okay. 11 forward. So there you go, Luke. Let's see. All you had to do, you, you just have to kind of throw it out there and Craig will drop a tidbit like that. By the way, I reported that. Didn't you read my reporting, Luke? Yeah. Weren't you dialed <laughs> into everything I said and tweeted? That was the subtext, Petey. Wow. It's always Maybe subtext with Craig. I know. With Luke, you know, he has been covering uh, the NBA finals and other things. So he's been a little busy. Not anymore. Now it's the NBA draft comes up in five short days, gentlemen. I am so envious of writers who get to cover the NBA draft. Two rounds, we're done? Really? That's it? I guess the only... Can we do that player. in the NHL? Can we at least cut it to five? Why? I mean, they, they used to have nine rounds. Daniel Winnick was a ninth-round draft pick. Why do we have seven rounds? You think that, but then watch the NBA draft, and if a guy gets traded, he still has to wear the hat of his old team. It's the most confusing thing ever. Oh, so-and-so got picked seventh by the 76ers, but got traded to the Grizzlies, but he'll be wearing a 76ers hat all night long to confuse everybody forever. Uh, all right, guys, you want to hit – we're at an hour ten. Do you want to yeah, do these well, questions as, well, as a – This is about one-tenth of what the NHL draft was yesterday. <laughs> Do you want to do the questions as a separate podcast, or we just want to power through some of these? We got power lots. through them, baby. Let's get it out. All right, I'm gonna. Let's see. Well, we'll start with Los Coyote Steve. Has Armstrong reinvented the rebuild? I don't know. He's acquired a lot of draft picks. He's done. He's done what he was supposed to do, and in, in the first step of the many step process of rebuilding this franchise. Yeah, he's done a great job so far. Again, so far to be determined. And great job that look. Like a little aggressive there. He's done what he's been asked to do. He got rid of some salary, he got rid of some players, and in in return he got draft picks and started to build for the future. So he's done what he's been asked to do, whether fans like it or not. That was his mandate when he was hired, and he's done that. Yeah, and, and as we said earlier, he's this is what he's good at: is scouting, drafting, and, and hopefully uh, has the guys in place to develop as well. And so we won't know that for a little while. Um. Steve wrote in, there's a few different questions about that trade with the Kings, but a number of people wrote in to let us know how much Roadrunners fans hate Boko Omama. <laughs> and now he's a member of the Coyotes organization. So where do you guys come out on that trade? I guess Craig specifically on that one. They're going to love Boko Omama in five games. That's what okay. I'll say. 
I tell you what, my son, who who was a, a stick boy for the the Road Runners for years, is very excited about that acquisition and seeing what he can do because he he put the fear of God into many Tucson Road Runners on many a night. This kid plays hard. He is tough. Um, Road Runner fans might like him. You'll be surprised. Um, it's it's not a major deal. It's it's a shakeup of some minor league guys to try it to re get a restart in a new new place. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing how he looks in a Roadrunner jersey. Right. Look, people are like losing their minds over lo- losing Braden Burke, a guy who didn't crack the NHL lineup in his opportunity here. He's smallish. He's not Bill Armstrong's type of player. Get over yeah. it. It's not a big deal. I know you get attached to players, but it's not yeah. a big deal. And Boko Imama is Bill Armstrong's type of player. Yes. <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to bring some real character to two. Yes, plays tough. He's a tough, tough, tough kid. Uh, CWP writes in. We kind of touched on this, but I want to get his question in there. What are your thoughts on Seattle so far? Were there any big surprises from either the expansion draft or entry draft? And what moves would you have made if you were Ron Francis? I will say this. Ron Francis... I give that guy the benefit of the doubt. I'm interested to see what they're doing because they are, they're clearly not. I mean, look, Vegas went to the cup in their first year. That's obscene. It's that has never happened in sports, let alone hockey. So I think Francis is, is realistic enough to realize we can be, we don't have to be terrible, but he's building for the long haul. Vegas is in a weird position because they were great right out of the gate. So they just keep trading their picks away for good players and they've been great for four years now. It's not going to be Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would say. I don't. I still don't understand uh, claiming Tyler Pitt, Pitlick and trading him for fourth round pick, but yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt. And by the way, the Pacific Division's not going to be very good, so Seattle still yeah. might be in contention. Yeah, I think they're a potential playoff team. I yeah. really do. And I know it's really, really early, but um, wait to see what this team looks like on October twelfth because I think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes in Seattle than we recognize. And I, I think this is a team that's going to be a potential playoff team. And, and they'll kind of come down similar to last year when we talked about teams four, five, six, and everybody's going to kind of jumble in beyond those top three. I think it's going to be the same thing here next year. And I think the Pacific division potentially up for grabs, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't know who's, who's the, Edmonton, I guess, is the front runner in the Pacific, and more to Coyotes fans, who cares? Maybe Vancouver. They're going to be in the Central, yeah. Maybe Vancouver. So, so we'll see. This is to be the TBD. They um, they have that cap space for a reason. Whether that means they're going after somebody now or they want that flexibility going forward, they're, everything they're doing is very intentional. Maybe okay. So if, if the Coyotes lost Timu Pokin and Tyler Pitt, like maybe we should just assume next expansion draft, whoever has the initials T and P is getting claimed by the expansion team. Look at you. Someone would go there, actually. Wow. There you go. I also, Uh, by the way, before we go on to another question, we have to ask, we have to go to Big Tortilla's question soon. I've started to wonder about our listeners if Gigi Letessier and Gertrude von Lichtenstein are the same person. So I need someone to explore that. I haven't heard from Gertrude. I have no idea what you're talking about. Should I know? You haven't heard from Gertrude. That's interesting to me. <sighs> we haven't gotten a lot of Gertrude questions. I don't see one this week either. Could be a split uh, personality th- kind of thing going on right now. So they're in Gigi mode for a while here. I don't know. I don't somebody guess. somebody, figure, find that out, please. Uh, okay, here's Big Tortilla since Craig is calling for this question specifically. I'm making chili verde with homemade tortilla. Would you guys like some? Yes. Yes. What What is the progress of Cam Deneen? Do you see him becoming an everyday NHL? Gracias. No. no. I don't. I don't really think Cam Deneen has much of a future with the Coyotes, to be honest. 
Um, but I would take some of that Chile Verde, and it reminded me of a place called Verde in downtown Phoenix, which was one of my favorite restaurants, and they closed up. So I really miss them. Chile Verde sounds great to me. You can deliver it to Luke's house. I'll send you the address. So that's why you wanted this. Uh, well, the listeners already have your address, Craig. That's where they were sending the that's ducks. So that's <laughs> followers in the wow. habit of taking photos of my, my entryway and boasting <laughs> them. So, wow. <laughs> Uh, Mike, have you ever seen a team pick up so many draft picks in such a short amount of time? It was a whirlwind. I'm sure it's happened. But yeah, I'm sure. But look at that. In the morning of, you, you pick up a number nine pick with trading your captain. That's a pretty gutsy move. Yeah, that's rare, rare, a rarity in the league for sure. I, I can't believe after having no draft picks or limited draft picks to have the abundance of first and second round picks. That's amazing in such a short time. Bill had a funny quote about that because they, they had the, they had finalized their list. He said, all the scouts went back to sleep, and then I texted them that we had a, the ninth overall pick. And he's like, they didn't sleep a wink after that. <laughs> uh, let's see. We'll go with Eldon. As broadcasters, journalists, what hockey name gives you the hardest time spelling or pronouncing? Andreas, I have amnesia. That's the guy that really. Athanasiu. Athanasiu is yeah, that's a great one. I can't say his name. Athanasiu, and we had in our locker room. I just rhymed it with "happy to see you," yeah. so it was Athanasiu, and I never got it wrong again. There's so <laughs> many difficult NHL names because of that Eastern European flavor. There's some really hard names. Um, I can't think of anything specific. I'll go to Luke, but the one I had to learn last week was the Greek freak. That one took me two weeks. I was in the wrong sport, but it took me two weeks, and it just ended up being Giannis. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. You see, you see why people just settled on Giannis. That, that was definitely I do. the Valley last week. People were like, how do you say Antetokounmpo? But they weren't saying it like that. They were like, and just – I will give you a name – from my first year with the Coyotes, and I can pronounce it now, but it was like, it had to be like my 10th game. And the Coyotes were playing Minnesota. And Guillaume Latendresse was in the lineup for the Wild. And I remember talking to Todd Walsh downstairs before the game. And I'm pretty good with the names. I don't have, and maybe this is what pushed me. But that one game, before the game, I'm like, I hope he doesn't do anything tonight because that's the one name I'm like still kind of, hit a hat trick. In fact, he might have had four goals. Did you just call him Let's Undress? I mean, on a sidebar, you should see some of the names, especially when they get called up. And one of the roles I had inside the locker room was putting the guy's names up on the board. Yeah. Uh, and you write them down. Thank goodness I never had to say them. But to watch Dave Tippett and Rick Tockett say a guy's name. Tom Maloney. Tom Maloney was the worst. We oh, had, it's a comical. for him. It was comical. And guys in the room are laughing during the video because they know he's just killing the names. Oh, it was, it, it, and, you know, once they're an established player in the league, clearly that doesn't happen again. But but it happens all the time with yeah. these difficult names. Is is the F in Jacob Silverberg actually pronounced? I still don't know. We'll never know. Okay. Sarah McClellan actually invented uh, a glossary of mispronounced names that Don Maloney had. It was like 11 long. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. All Coyotes, by the way, not other players, his own players. That's <laughs> uh, the best. Absolutely the best. Uh, Todd York writes in, chances of Kessel getting moved before the season starts, do you think the Ironman streak becomes a problem or distraction if he is on the team? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's an interesting question because uh, 
his current coach doesn't have any ties to that Ironman streak. So if he's not performing, but that's a really hard thing to do to take a guy out of the lineup and, and kill that streak. I don't see the Coyotes moving Phil right now. I think they'll try and move him at the trade deadline. I think that's where he may be more palatable to teams so they don't have to deal with him for an entire season, but he's really cheap. I mean, you're not even on the hook for a million bucks because he's already had his signing bonus paid and Toronto still has salary retained. So it's, he's just under 900,000 a year. So if you, if you want a 20 goal scorer, who's not going to play defense and probably not going to train that hard and, do other things, uh, yeah, you can get Phil Kessel really cheaply right now. The truth is, we all know this, Phil Kessel is not a fit for the Arizona Coyotes right now. We, we've talked about a rebuild. Phil Kessel is not a piece for a rebuild. Um, the problem is, what can you get for a return on Phil Kessel right now? I don't know. I think teams are apprehensive, and they want to see him repeat what he did last season, the first part of this season. So I think you're right. I think it's a trade deadline acquisition for a team that's ready to win right now that needs to add somebody that can score on the power play. I mean, look at Vegas. They didn't score on the power play the entire playoffs. Could Phil Kessel have helped the Vegas Golden Knights get over the hump? Possibly. So is there a team that's going to say, hey, we need some power play performance here? Can Phil Kessel, can we can we stomach his defensive liabilities for his power play offense? I think the answer is going to be yes. So I think it's just a waiting game. The Ironman streak, it's hard. Like I know Rick Tockett, you can say publicly you don't think about it or it's not there. It's there. And in the new coaching staff will have to deal with it, and you're going to say it's not there, but it's there. Ultimately, how I think that streak ends, Phil's going to get hurt. That's how the streak ends, in my mind. I, I think it's it's not going to be the coach taking a healthy Phil Kessel out of the lineup. He's going to be injured so badly he cannot play. And I don't mean a, a severe injury. I mean, my knee hurts. I can't skate. Something like that will end the Iron streak. That's just my belief. I don't know Andre Tournier, what his fit is for Phil Kessel right now. But unfortunately, that's how I see the streak ending. A couple other thoughts on Kessel. I, I wonder, first off, if he's going to go somewhere, he goes. if, if it's going to be for a full season, I think he needs to go somewhere where there's a strong locker room and leadership group. And Vegas might be one of those teams where they could take him on for a full season. Um, I wonder with the Coyotes, you can say, well, it's asset management. If Phil, if Phil scores a bunch again this year, he, uh, he might be more attractive to teams at the trade deadline. I don't see how Phil's going to score more this year with this roster. His value might be highest right now because he's coming off a 20-goal season. So if you're the Coyotes, do you take the best bid that you can get for him right now because you don't want Phil Kessel on your team next season? I don't know where you guys sit on that. You might. I mean, I, I wouldn't give him away, but I do think that there is something without knowing what the rest of the roster looks like. Uh, but they're not going to go out and, and sign you know, Jack Eichel or something. So, I mean, it's he, with there's a lot of truth to that where Kessel's numbers are more likely to take a hit than go up, let's say. I mean, what he scored with the Coyotes last year, that pace was slightly above his career pace. I mean, that that was Phil Kessel. That's and, and those are really good numbers, especially over the course of a shortened season. But to your point, Craig, if you're waiting to trade him, you're hoping he does that again, which maybe he will do, but don't expect him to necessarily do better than that unless he gets off to a hot start at the beginning of the season. But that's not taking you to the trade deadline. That would be you're trading him, you know, a month into the season. I would like to take this moment to thank Toronto, though, for still paying him because he was huge for the Penguins for those two Stanley Cups. The first one, he was kind of the driving force. So thank you, Toronto, for 
I hope in Toronto they take some joy out of the fact that they helped win somebody a Stanley Cup, even if it's not themselves. Yeah, I don't think sure he's going to. Do. I don't think he's going to command a big return. But but also there are there are teams that have an incredibly short window that need to win next season that can take a financial chance on a player that's not going to cost them much if they have a veteran leadership in the room that can handle all that Phil Kessel is like the Pittsburgh Penguins did. Um, yeah, I, I think someone will take a chance on him. He's not going to bring a first. He probably won't bring a second. But will somebody take a third round pick chance for Phil Kessel getting what ten? 12 power play goals, I, they will. And, and I, again, I go back to Vegas. It's Vegas. Colorado, it's another team that their window is shutting. Hey, Pittsburgh, does he go back there? You know, their, their windows is starting to, to, to go the other direction too. So there will be an opportunity to move that contract because it's, it's palatable. I, I just, I'd take it and move on. I'd like to note that uh, backhanded Toronto Maple Leafs comments are uh, part of uh, the RMO on this show. Uh, yes. Add another one. We actually had one. Uh, we combined for one yesterday on Twitter as well. So, yeah, it was, that was yeah because they drafted another Scottsdale player. That uh, was it, Matthew Neese, and he's. We uh, need to have an intermission so that the listeners can stretch their legs an hour and a half in, <laughs> okay, or uh, get a bathroom break. Good. You sat three hours of the NHL draft. Come on. No, okay. If we had to do this straight through, then the listeners can't even get out of their car. Like even if you were only on a twenty-minute drive, you have to sit in your car for the additional hour and twenty minutes. We should probably hours. label that like this is the California road trip edition. So if you're driving <laughs> from Arizona to LA, this is, throw this on. Good this why I, I wanted to move the questions to a separate podcast, and Craig said no because he had to work the entire NHL draft. Um, here, let's do two more. Michael, should Stan Bowman block all calls from uh, coming from Columbus, even with a large amount of draft picks? Are we looking at around three years until the Coyotes are competitive again? That's two very different questions. Yes, to the latter, without a doubt. I, I, I see this going. It's going to take a while for the Coyotes to get back to the playoffs even. Um, but with Stan Bowman, I would just get rid of his phone entirely because I think the calls that are coming in for him are going to be increasingly unpleasant given what is happening around the Blackhawks. Uh, yeah, I think all Chicago Blackhawk questions need to be addressed to Craig Morgan. I think he yeah. should be allowed to answer the Blackhawk questions. Especially if they're about the Bowman family. I'll, I'll answer them all. Uh, Adam, any idea when the official Pacino rebrand jersey reveal is happening? Expected something official to draft, but other than changing the logo everywhere, I didn't see any announcements. Please stop asking this question. I beg you to please stop asking me this question. I get this question like every three days. I don't know. I have asked multiple times. If they're doing it, they're not revealing it, and that's understandable. They may want to do a marketing thing, but I don't know if they're dealing with it, and that is my answer. And I'm just putting in my notes that I need to start creating burner accounts to ask Craig that question more often. (laughs) And when's the new building coming? That's the other question. Hey, Craig, when's the new building coming? Uh, Proceed (laughs) with caution. Exactly. Proceed with caution. Exactly. I will say I don't see any arena questions, which is... But why bother again? Why bother? Nick, no offense, but... I felt so bad, Craig, when I had you on my show the other night on, on uh, 98.7, and I was like, we've got 30 seconds left. I have to ask Craig about the arena because that's all he's asking me about. Talk so about I- it when the first beam is actually up, okay? Yeah. Uh, let's go with this as the last one. I'm sorry we didn't get to all the questions, but Craig was too busy talking about his time playing water polo. Um, NJL, I get the Garland was a victim of trading OAL's contract notion, but where do the Yotes sit in the short term by shipping him off? Does Bill Armstrong really think Keller, Devo, and Schmaltz are worth keeping around if we couldn't win with Garland in the mix? He seemed like a core guy. 
it's an interesting question because in a rebuild, you do have to identify who you you got to rebuild around some guys. And as we said, Garland would be a guy that I think most of us would have put in that mix of we're going to keep these four guys and rebuild. I understand why he had to get dealt, but there are other guys that didn't perform like Garland last year. Sure, uh, but could you move those guys? And therein lies the problem. You have Clayton Keller signed to a very big contract, Nick Schmaltz to not quite as big a contract, but probably a little bit more than the Coyotes would want to pay him. Do you think there were NHL teams around the league that were going to take those contracts on? The answer is no. If they had been able to move a Clayton Keller, I definitely think the Coyotes would have done so. And if they had been able to move Clayton Keller, I think they might have hung on to Connor Garland. They're just in a, a position created by the past regime, and that's that's why Connor Garland is gone. And this is all stuff Bill Armstrong knew he'd have to deal with, too. Yeah, it's hard for Coyote fans to stomach and swallow this one. Absolutely based on who Connor Garland is and how he plays and all of the things we've talked about on this show for the entire season. But they're not looking at next season. They're not looking at the season after that. They had to get rid of that money for all of Ekman Larson's contract, and they needed to do it today. And they needed draft picks, and they got a ninth overall pick because of it. So, you know, it's it's collateral damage. It's unfortunate, but it's reality. And, and they are not looking to be a playoff team or a Stanley Cup contender in the upcoming season. Everybody knows it. It's it's The, the die has been cast, so it's too bad. But this team's traded a lot of good players that guys liked and the fans liked. It's not the first Coyote player that we've seen leave the Valley. They go, hey, I really like that guy. I mean, that list is pretty long, and I think it's pretty long for any franchise. Yep. You, you trade people you like because you have to look at a bigger picture and a bigger plan, and unfortunately, Connor Garland got caught up on that. Yeah, if, uh, I will Go ahead, Luke. Well, I would, I would just say, I mean, Garland's been a fan favorite since before he ever even played for the Coyotes. I mean, ever since they drafted him, I remember we would do the Facebook live videos, you know, four or five years ago and people would write in, Hey, when's Garland coming up? Like we, and we would get, that wasn't the question we got like once we would get that question five, six, seven, eight, nine times a game. So people were waiting for Garland. Then he came up and I think exceeded even their expectations because of just how tough of a guy he is. So I get that that one certainly stings. The one thing I would say, and, and to Petey's point, we're not going to know for a couple of years, but I'm surprised Gunther was there at nine. And and I do wonder if maybe the Coyotes were even like, wow, we just traded up to the ninth pick and we got a guy that might be the third or fourth best player in the draft. I think if he had not been there, they might've been willing to trade back down. They, I think they had their eye on him for quite a while, actually. Oh. So that, yeah. So yeah, they had, they had targeted him and that's, it is, it, it, I think it was a little surprising that he dropped to nine. Again, there, there were people that had him much higher. So We'll, we'll see. Again, it, the draft is a crapshoot. We'll see who was right about that, but there were people that had him higher. And, and by the way, going back to the, the Schmaltz and uh, Keller and Garland thing, one last point. I've been told that internally the Coyotes do not believe that they could have had Schmaltz, Keller, and Garland in their top six. Not enough size there. Too many small guys in your top six. So, And, and especially when you think about the, the type of roster construction that Bill Armstrong wants – Small guys, three small guys in your top six doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, small guys definitely can play, but it, it, we, we've we seen it in the past where you play a big team like Vegas or Colorado in a seven-game series, and it's like you can't you, – it you, you needs to be a limit maybe on how many of those small guys you have. Not that you shouldn't draft them or sign them or that they can't play, but it's like if you're giving up size across all the lines, that, that'll start to wear you down over 
a few games. Craig, I want to close on this just to prove that I read your work and I admire it and I tell people about how great it is. Um, I saw you note a couple times, at least kind of just note how, how fun it would be to have Keith Yandel back. Any chance Keith Yandel ends up on the Coyotes? I can't see it happening. I can't either. I can't see it happening. I, I would, I, it would, it would, it would be something that would actually get me through the next year or two of having to watch the hockey that I'm going to have to watch. If I knew that I could come into the, the dressing room and get one of his dry under his breath comments, it, it, it would make it all worth it to me, but I don't see Keith Yandel come here. I think he wants to win, right? He knows he's not going to win here. It would be so cool to see him come here and set the Ironman streak in, in Arizona where he was drafted, where he played the majority of his career. But I think he's going to go to some place where he has a chance to win right now. Cause they're, Clearly isn't much time left in Keith Yandel's career. Austin makes sense. All right, Petey looks like he wants to do another two hours, but I'm going to call it. Petey, I, I can I'm tell ready. with your eyes. Petey's like, let's just keep going until midnight. Uh, all right. Anything else we want to say here? I think we've said literally everything you can say. There's a lot of stuff, to, a lot of news to get in there here though, for this podcast. I thought you'd have a better name for the, the Cleveland Guardians than the Cleveland Guardians. Oh, that was a question too. Where did I see that? You guys I have any suggestions? on this recently on social media to prove that. I read all of your tweets, Luke. Oh. Notifications because I don't want to miss a single one. I suggested the, I didn't suggest the Cleveland Washington football team. I suggested that the Washington football team might be looking at it, calling themselves the Washington Cleveland Guardians football team. Um, I will say that logo, I don't mind the, the name. The logo's a it's going to take me a while to get used to that logo. Yeah. It's a little blocky. All right. All my, all my nicknames for Cleveland would be derogatory. So I'll just refrain because there's really no, there's no need to pile on. It's Cleveland. They might have a decent football team. All right. It's going to do it for us. For Greg Morgan, for Steve Peters, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.